Hello and welcome to A Photographic Life. Uh, this week, as has been the case I suppose pretty much every week since we began this podcast, the subjects of the podcast, the, the, the points that have kind of caught my eye that I, I thought were worth discussing, have occurred um, during the week and um, have been, I suppose, most clearly seen um, online. And last week I was talking perhaps quite passionately, well, I think, yeah, passionately, about the importance of having open discussion. And strangely enough, the the points I want to talk about or the issues I want to discuss this week kind of are a follow-on um, from that re- that call for open discussion. I think it's, it's difficult to be working in the photographic environment, certainly within the UK, and not be aware of the Taylor Wessing Prize, um, Obviously, or obviously, not obviously at all, if you're aware, it was originally established as the John Cobau Award um, on the back of John Cobau, a great collector of um, historic portrait photography, and um, then became the Schweppes and, and is now sponsored by the finance firm uh, Taylor Wessing, or finance-related company. So it's the Taylor Wessing Award, and it, it seems to be an award which is regularly... Um, the announcements of the winners are met with uh, a level of discussion, debate, confusion. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that it, it provokes those debates and discussions. However, this week, um, the prizes were announced uh, once again, and they raised a whole issue concerning white view, that idea of um, the the white photographer, the European photographer, American photographer, whatever it may be, the white photographer, um, photographing um, ethnicity and documentation of ethnicity. And then really, again, as always, I don't really want to get into the, the minutiae and the detail of that situation. But what I do think is really important is to pick up on is the lack of transparency in the judging process. And the judges for the Taylor Wessing this year, I think I think it's worth having a look at what that judging panel um, was made up from, what, what kind of people. And there was one photographer on the panel, Miles Aldridge, a fashion photographer, someone who, strangely enough, I, I was on the in the same class as um, studying graphic design um, at the same college um, back in the 1980s. Um, there was one managing partner from the sponsor, a representative of the sponsor. Not quite sure what the role of managing part partner actually involves. Uh, a director and uh, two curators of photography and one global cultural director from Magnum Photos. So once again, a, a slightly strange... Um, combination of people, I think. Not necessarily the peers. It's not a peer review of the work being created by photographers. Surely a panel made up of um, portrait photographers, perhaps people fully engaged in the commissioning of portrait photography, alongside the the curators. Perfectly acceptable, of course, to have a representative of the sponsor, uh, if they feel that they have the uh, the knowledge and the relevance to make the decisions. But why isn't it somebody from the marketing department or the creative director or, I don't know, something else? It just seems to me to be a very strange 
judging panel. Um, it also seems to me um, very strange that repeatedly the Taylor Wessing is questioned into its decision making. Um, it makes a, a demand on photographers to pay for the work. You have to travel to London to pick up your print if it hasn't been accepted into the final judging. There's a whole load of demands being put on the photographer um, by the competition. And yet the competition doesn't feel it's necessary to provide an explanation to allow the judges to speak and to give some context as to why the decisions that have been made have actually been made. I know this is something that World Press Photo do really well. They have little films of the judges talking about the work they chose. And, and when I was um, a member of the judging panel for the World Press Photos, um, I think it was called Mixed Media um, back in those days, um, basically films, short films, um, documentary films, uh, I actually wrote a number of articles about the process and they were really great about that. And I think that's what we need. We need transparency in these decisions. We need transparency from the people who are holding these competitions, which reflects the level of demand that they're making of us. A similar uh, kind of, I suppose, lack of transparency was brought to pass by um, a very established member of the British photographic community, Paul Hill. Um, if you don't know Paul, um, Paul's work, an educator, somebody who set up the first photographic workshops in the UK, um, a really great photographer um, throughout the 1970s, 80s, and even now, He's continually creating new work and exhibiting new work and holding workshops. So somebody who's fully engaged and has been fully engaged um, at the highest level for a long time. And he put a little post up on Facebook about the, um, the new photo centre at the Victoria and Albert Museum. And his comment was really based on, well, where are we as far as British photography is concerned? in this British Centre for Photography. He made this point by stressing and outlining that the German photographer Thomas Ruth and the American artist Penelope Umbrico had been um, commissioned to open the space, that new acquisitions have been made uh, from Hiroshi Sugimoto, from Cornelia Parker, an English uh, artist, uh, Linda McCartney, Marco Brewer, Pierre Cordier, and Mark Cohen, a number of Americans in there as, as well as Europeans and Japanese, um, that a course in humanist photography uh, was now going to be held at the centre. Kind of interesting, bearing in mind in a previous podcast, I spoke about this return of humanist photography. So interesting that they're recognising that. That's great. But his point was that it's going, the promotion for this course was that it would feature the work of Robert Duano, of Cartier-Bresson, of Dorothea Lang, Lee Miller, Diane Arbus and Vivian Meyer. No British photographers. And this was his point. Not that it should be um, solely British photographers. Not that... Um, he is in any way being jingoistic or nationalistic about this, but just raising the point that if a similar centre for photography was to open in Paris or in Germany or in New York, there would be a strong representation of the history and the tradition of photography and contemporary photography 
in that in that country. Um, I see his point. I, I completely see his point, as any regular listener to this podcast will be aware. I believe in a, a, a broad spectrum, a broad church, welcoming all areas of photography. I'm always slightly nervous when I see a very uh, narrow or perhaps obvious agenda coming through and being applied because that has such a huge impact on the future of photography and the kind of photography that's being created in this country, in the UK, and also how, as UK-based photographers or British photographers, um, we feel, they feel, um, are the opportunities, are there opportunities? And there are a number of really great British photographers who could have very easily been included, um, and it would have been a an opportunity to recognise that tradition of photography um, that we have in this country. Put that to one side, you may completely disagree with me and think that this is a, a case of sour grapes from British photographers um, complaining that they weren't included. That opinion is always, all opinions, perfectly um, accepted. However, what I think we're really dealing with here is a lack of transparency and a lack of communication from the new VNA Photography Centre with the photographic community. Uh, why were these decisions made? Are these decisions being made in closed rooms? And who's informing these decisions? Are these decisions being made in a collaborative manner to ensure that the new photographic centre is an inclusive place and not an exclusive place, which is very difficult um, to become inclusive when you're in such a beautiful building in the V&A in South Kensington. I always remember Terence Conran opening the boiler room gallery space for design there way, way back. I think may even, I, maybe it was the 80s, maybe the 70s. I can't really remember, but for a long time. And it was a great inclusive space for design, championing design. And perhaps uh, the people behind the photographic centre could have actually thought a little bit more about communicating, about uh, actually being more transparent, or at this point coming out and explaining and getting involved in discussion, hold discussions about the decision-making process. Maybe it's after the decision-making process and allow those photographers to get involved in a series of talks about the future and so forth. I don't know. But it seemed to me that both of these issues in the past week raise this issue of the importance of transparency in decision making, particularly with the photographic community, where a lot of the time we're talking about people who can feel quite isolated, either from what is seen by many as a central cabal, perhaps a London-based central cabal, which is making the decisions without fully engaging with photography and photographers across the nation. We regularly ask photographers, I regularly ask photographers, to send me a little audio clip recorded on their phones uh, that lasts no longer than five minutes, in which they take on the challenge uh, to answer the question, what does photography mean to me? Uh, this week, um, great to have uh, Stuart Franklin um, on the podcast. Uh, I would just say, uh, yes, that is David Bowie um, in the background that you can hear. But the reason for that, as you listen to the podcast, will become clear.
So this week, Stuart Franklin. Yeah, this is uh, Stuart Franklin. Photography is a privileged, beautiful life. Uh, take this morning. I'm up at five, eh, somewhere in Portugal near the uh, Spanish border, uh, a place called Évora. And um, I'm trying to photograph some standing stones. So I'm up at five to see when the sun's coming up. Looks like it's coming up around seven. So there's me in the kind of almost dawn, dusty dirt road, driving along, listening to Bowie's absolute beginners. I can see the pink orange sky starting at the bottom. Get up to these stones, they're on a hill. And I notice that the sun is gonna, as it comes up, is gonna shine right on them. Pink, pink light, pink, orange light on these stones. So I spend about an hour shooting between seven, seven and 10 past eight. And uh, it's just beautiful light. Um, the, they're like companion stones. They're like people talking to each other, surrounded by a cork oak forest, dry grass, dust that you could draw in. The ancients probably did draw on the dust. Um, and this is photography. It's, uh, it's such a privilege. And the evening light, the afternoon light was not much different. I was a little bit off piste, another dirt road, uh, just waiting for the sun to go down. I spend a lot of time just waiting on the light, watching the light and uh, enjoying the light. Uh, I've been doing it for uh, 50 years like this. 45 years, it's a great life, beautiful life. Thank you, bye-bye. If you're a regular listener to the pod, listener to the podcast, you'll already be starting to realize, I'm sure, how varied the responses to this question, what does photography mean to you, is and are. Um, Stuart there um, providing, uh, I think, a fantastically evocative uh, response to the question. So thanks very much for that, Stuart. Um, I do ask quite a few people uh, to provide the little audio and um, quite a few people say no. Uh, they perfectly reasonably um, just feel they can't really answer the question. Some people it's, it doesn't feel right for at the moment of time and what have you. Um, so I'm always eternally grateful to those who do say yes and provide such insights. We have some fantastic ones coming up over the uh, coming weeks as well as um, the continuation of the photo stories which I also hope that you're enjoying. Um, the coming week for me is going to be um, maybe a little bit difficult. My father has a big operation uh, involving cancer, which uh, I spoke about in a very early podcast, I think about at podcast three or four. So um, I'm hoping that's all going to be okay. Um, from a photographic perspective, 
um, the same old, same old. Keep the ears open, keep uh, engaged with the medium and um, trying out new things, new projects, new ideas, talking to people and listening to people's opinions and sharing ideas. Uh, have a great week ahead and uh, take care.